This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Growing Matters. Growing Matters is an industry coalition sharing science-based information about the crucial role neonicotinoids play in how food is produced. Learn more at neofacts.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Sorghum's Tim Lust, next. Neonicotinoids, or neonics, are a class of pesticides that are vital to agriculture and are cornerstones of modern integrated pest management. For more than 25 years, neonics have played an important role in sustaining communities and help ensure farmers are able to grow the food, fuel, and fiber we need. Not using neonics would undermine the very practices that keep destructive pests in check and would negatively impact farmers, families, communities, and the environment. That is why Growing Matters, a coalition led by BASF Agricultural Solutions, Bayer, Mitsui Chemicals, Agro Inc., Syngenta, and Valent USA LLC, has launched neonicfacts.org to share science-based information about the crucial role neonics play and how food is produced. To find out more about the important role neonics play in North American agriculture, share the facts and learn the sources such as the EPA and Ag Informatics, visit neonicfacts.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With much attention given to supply and demand factors for corn and soybeans, Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producer, says his commodity has its own share of positives for food, feed, and fuel. Lust admits there is an acreage race in the country with fundamentals unlike he's ever seen before. You know, there's so many factors today that go into this race for acres that are not normal discussions that uh, are, are really important. And, and I think that's part of where sorghum shines, honestly. Um, we historically, you know, talk about what prices are. We talk about what cost of production is. We don't talk about supply chain. We don't talk about what chemicals can I get, uh, what will be available, what fertilizer can I get, what will be available. Those, those are not normal, uh, discussions in U.S. production agriculture in a, in a February time frame. Um, and, you know, I think those are, are huge driving forces that are going to definitely be with us with this crop. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that while we look at the Board of Trade and, and uh, I think everybody gets excited about most all commodities about where their level is on the Board of the Trade, uh, you know, that's only half the discussion. And I think from our industry standpoint, uh, when we really start digging down in the numbers, um, uh, you know, and what net profits are going to be tied to some of these increases in cost of production, uh, tied to some of these increases in supply availability, well, I think Sorghum's got a really good story to tell there uh, because, uh, you know, we are a little more simple in some cases uh, in terms of, of some of those supply challenges and, you know, not saying that we might not be immune to them ourselves, but certainly uh, with what is known today, I think sorghum is in a good place going forward in 2022 in what is, as you mentioned, a extremely competitive year for acres. So let's put some more cards on the table. What challenges are you then seeing with the supply chain and, and with inputs? Is this the same as other crops? And there are a number of farmers, at least in the Midwest, that are talking about 
or at least their reasoning that soybeans is the cheaper crop to plant and and that might favor over corn that's more expensive. Where does sorghum fit in this line? I think when you look at, uh, you know, I'll just uh, just take uh, Kansas State Ag Economist's uh, uh, budgets and, and some of the numbers they ran. I think when you look at that profitability, sorghum is incredibly strong compared to, to, to both of the crops you mentioned previously uh, in terms of net profitability. And, and part of that is 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 cost of production. Um, certainly, uh, our seed is a very good value. Um, certainly, you know, when you talk about what are the challenges and, and, and what does that look like, uh, we're in an extremely good position from a seed standpoint, uh, in sorghum. So we're, we're very solid going into the year in that and in good shape there. Uh, from a chemical standpoint, I think we're, we're more solid than most, um, and, and we hope, um, you know, with, with current, issues going on in the world uh, that nothing gets more complicated I think uh, you know as it is today uh, I feel good about where sorghum is on that side uh, but just knowing the shortages that we have of a number of different products uh, in, in a number of different areas um, you know we just continue to worry about that going into summer uh, but uh, as of now uh, chemical inventories look solid and uh, seed inventory is is definitely solid uh, so that's you know that's the positive news that uh, that we certainly have and and uh, are are happy to talk about. You have been vocal lately, along with some other groups, about uh, registration challenges and safety of glyphosate, as well as other pesticides, uh, especially in light of re-registration and the Endangered Species Act. Why is it important to maintain these products? Well. You know, first and foremost, um, you know, they're, they're safe, reliable projects that, uh, there's been a lot of money that has been spent on. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a long history, you know, just take atrazine and sorghum, a product we've used for 50 years, uh, 7,000 studies showing the safety of it and, and something that is just in, you know, really important. The other side of that, just from a cost of production, we're talking about supply chains and cost of production. Um, if, um, you know, if, if you lose a product like that, you know, the next alternative may be $15, $20 an acre more expensive. And certainly that's very significant. I think in many cases it also impacts our competitiveness against the rest of the world. So it's not only a increased cost of production for the U.S. sorghum farmer, but maybe it's not one uh, for someone in Australia or someone in, in South America. So it, it's a U.S. competitiveness issue, too. So that's why it's just so important that uh, that we get these products re-registered and be able to move forward. Does the grower's sustainability effectiveness have a tie to the herbicides that are available? Absolutely. When we look at you know a crop like sorghum that is significantly no-till, it is no-till because of our ability to use those uh, chemical tools. And uh, if those are, are taken away and we lose access to those, then logic is, is that we're going to use more plows and we are uh, simply going to plow more, use more fuel, use more energy, uh, and, and be less sustainable. So now the shift to the demand side of the equation. It's clear that when ethanol came along, there was a huge increase in demand for corn, and there was a pull-through, if you will. Well, now we're talking about next-generation biofuels, and there appears to be a tremendous pull-through that's coming for vegetable oils, and you would include soybean oil in that mix. 
With regard to demand, and especially domestic demand, do you see a pull-through story for sorghum on the horizon, or is this a challenge for you compared to those other two crops? No, I, I think we do, and uh, you know that uh, pull-through demand on the domestic side has been twofold for our industry for for a while, and it continues. Certainly, biofuels are, are a third of our industry, a third of our usage. And you know, when we when we used to talk about ethanol and biofuels, you know, you would get into this competitiveness discussion. And and while that's still there, uh, I think what is going on in the world today, what oil prices have done recently, uh, what domestic energy security means to this country, I, I hope people are taking notice, and, and I think they are, and I think that will will bode very well. Even without that, I mean. I I think when we look at the tremendous advancements that are happening uh, in the ethanol plants that we work with on the sorghum side, um, you know, it's exciting to see what innovation and technology is doing there. It's exciting, you know, in our case, you know, sorghum plants move into advanced biofuels and, and, and making that that's really important for sorghum. Uh, when we look at some of the industrial uses that some of our, our ethanol plants are, are moving to, and then, of course, uh, a lot have been talked about in the media about uh, aviation fuels in the last month or two and, and what those possibilities are. So, you know, just without a doubt, there's a huge demand pull domestically uh, on the biofuels side for sorghum and, and, and corn as well. I think the other thing that is, you know, exciting for me, and while it's not as not as big a volume, and, and we certainly admit that, uh, you know, one of the things that we've worked pretty hard throughout my career on is the human food market for sorghum. And, uh, you know, just a few years ago, you know, there were, were just a few hundred products that contained sorghum. And, you know, one of the exciting things... Uh, USDA's database just got recently updated and, uh, you know, showing over 6,000 products now by 500 different companies that include sorghum. We're not talking hundreds of millions of bushels yet, but the growth rate where we're at and the progress that's being made is significant on that side. And so excited to talk about, uh, you know, our continued growth in the, in the domestic human food market as well. Tim, you had a strong finish in the global demand side of the equation in 2021. What about here for the beginning of 22? Well, here again today, export announcements are out and sold another 125,000 metric tons. In all reality, when we look at the amount of the crop that has been sold, the amount of crop that's been used domestically, we continue to see very large export sales, obviously driven by China. And to the point that when we really talk about old crop, we're starting to get to the point where over the next month, um, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to see a lot of old crop sales because there's not going to be a lot of old crop sorghum left to sell. So, so then the focus will really turn to the new crop. Uh, certainly basis bids are not quite as strong right now as they were this time a year ago. A lot of factors, I think, involved in the geopolitical world uh, that are associated with that. I think some regional factors, too, of, uh, you know, looking at where sorghum acres are going to go up and, and how, you know, dry conditions are, are potentially impacting that that are a little bit at play. You know, I would just say that, uh, you know, anybody that gives an expert opinion of exactly what all these markets are going to be in 2022 is, is smarter than I am because, uh uh, obviously, yesterday markets uh, limit up in many cases and limit down maybe today at this time. And, and we just know there's going to be a tremendous amount of volatility uh, at these prices. 
but the thing that we just look at is this uh again when we look at you know the opportunity to to, to have those net profits at the end of the day uh we believe sorghum's positioned very well for 2022 tim from a trade perspective the phase one trade deal is over with china and there are calls now most recently from iowa senator Joni ernst for the u.s to get back into the tpp now known as the cptpp what trade deals do you need what are your thoughts about getting back in that Asian trade relationship? You know, it's one we've supported all along, and uh, and so certainly that is something that that we would support and and be a part of. Um, you know, I think also from a sorghum industry standpoint, while we, you know, while we understand the long term, um, you know, challenges of, of getting all the all the process done. Uh, you know, we're working a lot on India right now. Uh, India is a country that, uh, certainly, uh, you know, looks at non-GMO products. And, uh, when we look at, uh, at growth of demand in that country and what needs are going to be, um, you know, that's a country that certainly holds a lot of promise for sorghum. But, uh, you know, today we have a 50% tariff. So, uh, certainly working a lot there too to, to try to open up opportunities, uh, there as well. Tim, sorghum is raised in areas where there's too much water and also where there's not nearly enough water. Does sorghum have a credible sustainability story now with its seat at the table on climate? We have the resource-conserving crop trademarked, and uh, uh, that is not by accident. That means we were we were doing this a long time before it was politically cool to talk about, and, and it means, uh, you know, we are a crop that, that uses less water and, and, uh, does a lot of things from a carbon standpoint extremely well. You know, extremely large root system that, that does some really neat things in terms of, of carbon sequestration. And, uh, so, you know, we are well positioned, um, and it is one of those things that, that certainly we have been working on for years. And, uh, frankly, look forward to the opportunities, uh, that are to come here, uh, as this discussion continues to move forward. So with that, the USDA's got a billion dollars in this climate smart ag and forestry program. Uh, what encourages you that, uh, uh, in that from the sorghum industry and from the sorghum crop perspective? Well, I think, uh, you know, a number of the things that are talked about in that, uh, grant proposal are, are things that fit very well with, uh, what we've been doing and, and what we've been working on, you know, for the last three, four, five years. And, uh, certainly from our industry standpoint, um, you know, opportunity for us to gather more data and more information, uh, at the farm level that will be very important, uh, for, you know, some of the programs that we've been working with in the past and, uh, and, and been working on. Obviously, a lot of sorghum ethanol goes straight to California, uh, and, you know, we've worked directly with the ethanol industry and the California Air Resource Board, uh, on these mission numbers for years. And, uh, certainly this is an opportunity to, to continue to look at that. Certainly there's probably opportunities even on the opposite side of this. Uh, you know, one is the fuel side, the other is the food side. And, and, and just looking at how we document some of, of, uh, you know, what can be done. And, and in some cases, um, you know, evaluate some new technologies or some new tools that, uh, we, we've thought about. Uh, but uh, just really haven't had enough information uh, or, or an incentive uh, to, to move forward and, and see what that looks like. Certainly, we, we have done some things on the, uh, 
you know, the partnering side uh, of working with others, uh, you know, have a significant program going with Pheasants and Quail Forever that, uh, you know, really partnering with them on our sister organization, the U.S. Uh, Sorghum Checkoff Program side. Um, you know, looking at conservation and cost share programs and, and, uh, you know, what that looks like, but this will be a new opportunity for us, uh, you know, really to continue to, to gather data and evaluate what works for growers in, in different geographic areas and, and in different combinations. So we'll get to farm build discussion, but let's move in, in this avenue first. I would suggest that we've been able to see a farm bill approved because of nutrition. And I would suggest that we've been able to see farm bills approved because of, of our conservation story over a period of time. Well, with now so much of the country's emphasis on climate change and climate smart programs, who will be our partners that will help uh, agriculture achieve uh, the programs and support that it needs, whether it be a farm bill or whether it be other programs that uh, are considered on the hill. Well, I think you see today a uh, a working relationship at many different levels that I, I really haven't seen to this extent in my career. And uh, you know, from from private sector for profit companies uh, working directly, um, you know, with with generally one or two partners in the middle, uh, directly back with producers, and and you know, we see that across many different segments. And, uh, in many different ways. And so, so I think it is those broad partnerships that we haven't always seen that will be the answer to this. Uh, I think when you get to farm policy, it, it always gets a little tricky. And, uh, you know, I think you always have to, to evaluate, um, you know, what, what there is the will to do. And, and then the second part of that discussion is always the resources of what are the resources to do. And, um, you know, certainly as we go into a, a 2023 farm bill discussion, you know, that resource conversation is, is still certainly a, a significant one that is less than clear. Do sorghum producers want to see the Department of Agriculture writing checks for climate smart programs and carbon sequestration? Or is it more of a role of verification, the practices and allowing the dollars to come from industry and other sources? Well, I think long term, our board's view is is that the private sector is 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 the appropriate place for this to to play out. I think the challenge is the short term. Um, you know, there's so many unknowns in this, and so many things we don't understand. Um, that uh, you know, if this is going to continue to advance and move forward, uh, then it, you know it makes sense that there is involvement uh, right now to to help us learn. Uh, help our growers learn, um, you know, what's possible, uh, you know, would be very challenging, I believe, to, to have a serious policy discussion about, you know, details in some cases of this, uh, without really having any baseline work or, or background research to know the answers to some of these questions. There's a lot of discussion now, kicking the dust, if you will, about what the 23 Farm Bill is going to be about. And it's hard to ask you this question in front of Commodity Classic and other meetings uh, that are going to be taking place among your growers and your delegates uh, and your board. But generally, Tim, what would you say that your group would would like to keep of the 18 and what you would like to see in a 23 Farm Bill if it is approved in 23? 
you know, I think the cornerstones of, of ag policy are still there, and, and our board is not going to deviate from those. So, you know, crop insurance, you know, continues to be a huge part of the modern safety net. Uh, you know, I'm, I live in one of those areas. Our national office is in one of those areas where it just hadn't rained for six months. And, uh, um, you know, that is a cornerstone that's not going to change. I think certainly when we look at some of the changes that were made in, in the way reference prices and, and ARC and PLC were done in the last farm bill, those were positive. But, but frankly, you know, also when we evaluate where cost of production has gone today, uh, it's just not very relevant from a safety net standpoint. So I think the, the key discussion with our board is, is, you know, whether it is, you know, evaluating some sort of disaster policy or evaluating some mechanism to, uh, you know, to allow some of these support programs to, to index and, and move with inflation and move with the changes in cost of production. Um, you know, I think that's where our focus will be. Um, acknowledging the fact that that is really challenging to do uh, unless there's additional dollars uh, in, in the way the baseline process works. So if Washington is going to be working through a lens of climate change and climate smart programs, you can already hear some challenges from groups that are saying crop insurance doesn't contribute to to climate to carbon sequestration and and ARC and PLC are not about um, putting more carbon in the soil and being better for the atmosphere. How does agriculture need to position itself to justify these programs that you've suggested have been so successful and so important to survivability over the years? Uh, you know, I think the key is to remind uh, all of the parties involved about what the realities uh, of, of a safe and secure food program are. And if the last, uh, you know, couple of years have not highlighted that for the entire world, uh, you know, I hope and pray that those supply chain issues don't get worse this summer. Uh, but I think we're in a time where it should be abundantly clear to everyone uh, the importance uh, of agriculture policy in making sure uh, that countries have uh, that food supply that they need and have those programs in place to allow those things to continue. So I don't get too caught up in, in the other parts of it because I think that, uh, you know, this would have been harder to explain five years ago uh, than it is today in terms of a lot of, of what the challenges are going on around the world today and, and what the realities are of of uh, empty, empty grocery shelves and, and things along those lines. Well, Tim Lusk, we want to thank you in the midst of a very busy season, especially leading up to uh, Commodity Classic coming in New Orleans in just a few days, for taking time to be with us here on this edition of Open Mic. Tim, it is Open Mic, and you've been here before. You get the last word today. Well, you know, I uh, I always enjoy listening to uh, uh, your recorded items, and so my last word today is going to really focus on um, you know one of the uh, interviews that y'all did recently, and uh, my final word is going to be uh, aspiring life to have role models and mentors like Fred Clark. Um, if y'all haven't uh, listened to his. Uh, uh, recording. Uh, don't don't miss the opportunity. Check your priorities in life, balance, and don't ever forget faith and family. 
Uh, it may be a crazy world today, and, and there's always plenty to do tomorrow, uh, but just don't forget that balance. And I think Fred did a, an incredible job of modeling that for me, uh, but also for communicating that articulately. Our thanks to Tim Lust, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Growing Matters. Growing Matters is an industry coalition sharing science-based information about the crucial role neonicotinoids play and how food is produced. Learn more at neonicfacts.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.